A couple quick things. I'm Brian, by the way. Really blessed uh, to be um, sharing with you today. Uh, a couple things I want to do first. First of all, um, shout out to uh, Pastor Scott and Janelle, who are visiting their daughter Chase, who's getting ready to give birth here pretty soon to a baby, so they're spending time with her. And so we just wanted to say hi, guys, and we love you, and we're thinking of you. And also for Pastor Mark, um, our youth and prayer and care pastor has been battling some health issues this week. And um, so just lift him up in your prayers, if you would, and, and ask the Lord to continue to heal and restore him. I know he would be greatly appreciative of that. And, and hey, brother, we're, we're praying for you. So if you're watching. And lastly, I, I, wanna, I don't want to do anything else until I give God a little bit of praise. Because two, two days ago, I didn't know if I was going to be up here, transparently. I had some issues in my neck and a pinched nerve that was just debilitating. If you ever had something like that. And I was laying in bed on Friday night, practically in tears, and, and saying, God, you're going to have to do something, because I, I, I can't go up there in that stage. And um, through getting some medical treatments and some things, I was able to be here. So I just want to just say thank you to the Lord for, for pro- providing and blessing, because you know how it is when you're in pain like that, and you just, you're not going to function. And so I just want to give him the glory for that. So uh, um, let's pray, and we're going to dive into some good scripture today. Lord, I, I am so humbled to be considered a co-heir with Christ to the throne and a child of the Most High God. And my brothers and sisters in here today, we come before you with humble hearts and hopefully willing hearts to just learn and be stretched a little bit to draw closer to you. So do your work and your will in your way, Lord, that will bring you much glory and edify the church. Lord, for we love you and we're so grateful for your love for us. So we submit to you today, Jesus. Amen. The first day of football season every year, the head coach stands in front of the team in the auditorium or, or the meeting room, wherever you are, and they set the tone for the season. And they say things like, this season's going to be our season. Men, we're going to win it all. We're going to do great things. We've overcome great adversity. We're prepared. You've been training hard. This is our season. But None of my years were the same as my freshman year in college. At the school of mines, played football, and we went one and nine. We were like one of the worst teams in the country. It was horrible. And so they transitioned into a new coach uh, around December of that year. And his name was Bob Stitt. And he was a great coach, had a great career there. So he showed up, and he stood in front of us and he said, Men, this will no longer be a losing program. We will win. And then we had one of the most gruesome off-seasons that I have ever experienced. And he, he literally, I mean, he ran it out of us. And so we would run like, we would all these drills and stations, and after we were totally exhausted from a 6.30 in the morning breakfast club, as he called it, then we had to run a 200-meter sprint for every loss from the prior season. So, so we would do nine of those. And guess what? If somebody got a bad grade on the team, if somebody showed up late or didn't make it to the, the running, guess what? He added one on. And so I, there was days where we were running 15 and 20 of these 200-meter sprints after this, you know, grueling workout. We lost 26 players that offseason off of the team of like 65, and we were down to, to bare minimums. But guess what? We started winning. Okay? So he set the tone, and he set the bar for that. A parent, parents in the, in the household, you set the tone for your family. You set the rules and guidelines that our family is going to live by. The sumps do this, and the sumps don't do these sorts of things family values, rules of the house, etc. And my mom, growing up, really despised being talked back to. And one time specifically, I was in the living room, and 
We were at odds. I don't know how. I might have been six or seven, but I remember it pretty vividly. In fact, I don't know how I could ever forget this moment. Um, so I'm sitting there. The TV, do you remember the old TVs when they would actually go fuzzy when they didn't work? Yeah? Like, okay. Some of you aren't that young in here to know that. So TVs goes fuzzy. We're at odds. She's in the kitchen. I'm in the living room trying to get this thing working, and it's loud and everything, and she's talking to me, and all of a sudden, I, I just yell, shut up! And like a cheetah popping out of the grasses in the Serengeti, my mom comes out of nowhere and boom! Right in the mouth. I don't remember talking back to her after that moment. God is the greatest coach. He's the greatest parent. He's a perfect parent, perfect father. And he set the tone... He set the bar for all humanity by establishing the 10 most important guidelines that have ever been established to live by. He called them the Ten Commandments. In fact, they helped to shape our entire legal system, and most of the foundation of Western civilization was shaped by the Ten Commandments. And in fact, over time, it's documented that human beings have developed over 32 million documented laws that's documented in the history of of mankind, and we've never been able to improve upon the Ten Commandments. But yet, interestingly, only 14% of people can recite the Ten Commandments from memory, at least in America. Would you believe that? The most important laws ever, and only 14%. And even more surprising is the fact that 25% of Americans can recite all seven ingredients in a Big Mac. <laughs> Two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, to on assessment easy bind congratulations well done maybe even more surprising did you know that a third can name all six kids from the brady bunch who can do that raise your hand go ahead kim on the spot you represent 33% of americans congratulations I heard a pastor one time suggest that there ought to be the Ten Commandments of driving on the road laws. Man, you speak in my language, and I wish Darcy was up here to give me a couple amens. Um, don't cut me off, don't tailgate me, don't go too slow in the left lane. Gravel trucks, you should never be in the left lane. If you're going to merge, zipper. Amen? Can somebody give me an amen? And that was only six of them. I got about 30. We want things our way, don't we? We want things our way. I guess that's why you can go to Burger King. Didn't they say, have it your way? I'll put a picture on the screen, and, and I don't want you to say anything out loud, but I want to put this picture on the screen. If you are under the age of 25, and you can tell me who that actor is, I have a special, don't say it, I have a special gift, I have a $25 Amazon gift card. Is anybody under the age of 25 name that actor? Raise your hand. Okay, I'm going to I'm gonna up the ante a little bit. Hold on, don't say it. I'm going to go 30 and under. Anybody 30 and under? Okay, we'll just keep going. You know how this game works. It's like the price is right. Okay, 35 and under, raise your hand. Guys, this is a little embarrassing. You're aging some folks in this room greatly and to their demise. Okay, let's, what, what was that, 35? 40? You, I, know, I know the girl you were in school. I know your kind. Front row, ooh, ooh. Okay, go ahead, who was it? Bingo! Congratulations, Stacey Burns. Uh, no purchase necessary? 
40 and under. We're rounding down. You just, you just represented her angel in front of the whole church. That was... You're not going to live that down. Yep, that transaction happened. That's in the books on video. So yeah, we got that online. From the time that Adam and Eve um, sinned in the garden, God, God essentially left humanity to our own devices, our own free will. He said, okay, I'm going to set forth some consequences, but you get to choose how you want to live. And at what point, unfortunately, God had to press the reset button, right? The great flood. Humanity got so bad and God was so disappointed that he said, we're going to kind of start fresh here. And you might think to yourself, that's not very fair. How did people in the Old Testament, how was it okay and fair that they were held accountable for God's righteous laws and decrees when the Ten Commandments weren't presented until thousands of years later when he did it through Moses? That's a very fair question. I mean, other than saying, don't eat the apple, what, what, really, what really was there? What did they have to go by? If you look carefully in scriptures, you'll see some pretty strong evidence that God actually revealed his laws to his people far before he did to Moses and the Israelites. Um, you don't have to have a seminary degree, I think, and you don't have to be Billy Graham to, to connect with these, but, but hang with me here, because, because I wasn't aware that God had interwoven these through his creation, through his people, far before Moses. So look, look at this with me. Um, Genesis 26.5, by the way, these aren't going to be on notes, but just, just listen and, and follow along with me. Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Genesis 26.5. So in order for Abraham to obey God's laws and commandments, he had to know what they were. Okay, That's just standard inference there. Now, the Bible defines sin very simply as the transgression of the law, 1 John 3, 4. And Paul wrote, there is no transgression without the law. So you, you can't break the law unless you know the law. Makes sense? So Abraham had some method of gaining this knowledge about God's laws. Secondly, you shall have no other gods before me and no graven images or no idols. You shall not worship or serve them, for I am a jealous God. Now, an idol is anything that takes the place of Yahweh, God Almighty, the God of the Bible. Anything that substitutes for him. And God worked in Jacob's life. Jacob was the grandson of Abraham. That relationship happened far before uh, God's relationship with Moses. And after God spoke to Jacob at one point, we're going to look at Genesis 35. Look at what Jacob did with the idols that were in his household. Here's what, it, here's what it says. Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. And Jacob said to this household and all who were with him, Put away foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me the way which I have gone. Now listen to this. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands and the earrings which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree which was by Shechem. So Jacob, third generation of Abraham's lineage, clearly understood false idols and graven images. Third, you shall not carry the name of God in vain. Let's look at 
Job. Uh, many of us are familiar with this gentleman. Uh, and in Job 1.5, for Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus, Job arose early to sacrifice burnt offerings regularly. So, so Job was fearful that his children, which we understand, many of us that know the Old Testament, there was sort of generational curses that would come on to people for certain sins. Okay, that's how God established this. And so he was fearful that his children, his very own kin, were cursing God, and so he was making sacrifices to atone for that. Fourth, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. I think many of us uh, understand that during the creation of the world, God rested on the seventh day. And that sets the tone for this commandment. And in this command, he says, this command to Moses, he says, remember the Sabbath. Now, does anyone recall God giving the Israelites that command before the Ten Commandments? Well, he actually did. He said um, in Exodus... Yeah, in Exodus 16, 23, this was four chapters before God gives them the Ten Commandments. Then he, Moses, said to them, the Israelites, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Then Moses said, eat that today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it, that being manna in the field. Six days you shall gather, but the seventh day in the Sabbath there will be none. So God had revealed this to the Israelites, the importance of the Sabbath, before he ever downloaded the Ten Commandments, so to speak. Um, number five, honor your mama and your daddy. That's from the uh, NSV, the New Southern Version, by the way. <laughs> Both Jacob and Esau had dishonored their parents. Uh, but Jacob finally did obey in Genesis 28. Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take himself for a wife there. And that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge saying, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and had gone to Padan Aram. So even then, Jacob understood the significance and the importance of obeying his parents. Number six, thou shall not kill. Now I bet you it won't take you more than three or four seconds to recount the first Murder in the Bible. Yeah, Cain and Abel. Second generation of all humanity. There was a little tussle or a little banter going on about which son gets to play with the Tonka truck. And next thing you know, Cain slayed Abel. It was not the story, actually, but you get the point, right? A little brotherly squabble. And God said to Cain, why are you angry? And why was your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well... Sin lies at the door. He's saying, look, young man, control your anger. Because if you don't, just like many of us, if you don't control your anger, bad things are going to happen. Right? So God was speaking that to him. Number seven, shall not commit adultery. Joseph, the 11th out of 12 brothers who sold him into basically slavery, when he was in Potiphar's house, he was approached by Potiphar's wife to have relations with him, with her. And Joseph replied, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? This is in Genesis 39, right? This is well before Exodus. Now Joseph labeled the idea of adultery. He said, it's wicked and it's a sin against God. So clearly he understood that was not 
in God's plan for humanity. An instance, two of the importance of abstaining from adultery, Genesis 20, verse 3. God warned Abimelech, king of Gerar, not to commit adultery with Sarah, Abraham's wife. We're almost there. Number eight, shall not steal. Um, Stealing was on Jacob's mind. If you remember the story of Jacob, and he was working for a guy named Laban. And do you remember why he was working for him? He wanted to marry his daughter. He's like, hey, wait to the to the lady is through the father's heart, right? He's like, okay, well, I'm going to work for you for a little while. Well, it's like years and years, seven years and then more years and all this stuff. And do you remember what Laban did to his wages? Scripture said he changed it 10 times. And I don't know about you in the current workforce, but I promise you, you want to have somebody quit on you, change their pay. Tell them what they're going, and if it goes, especially if it goes down, it's not going to go very well. It may happen one time, but it's probably not going to happen twice. So, so Laban was deceitful. He was not upholding his word, and he, he reduced or changed what he had agreed to pay Jacob multiple times, ten times, in fact. And with Joseph, we just spoke about him who was sold into slavery by his brothers. After becoming appointed head of Pharaoh's court, his brothers returned to him because they're hungry. And Joseph had enough foresight through the Holy Spirit to store up grain and, and food. So they show up, and he's a, little, he's a little upset, right? I don't know however many decades of anguish he's been wrestling what they did to him. So they framed his brother, he framed his brothers by putting a silver cup in one of their bags or pockets. And he confronts his brothers about somebody stealing this cup. He framed them. And here's what his brothers said in reply. With whomever of your servants it is found, meaning whichever one of us is found to have stolen this cup, let him die. And as for the rest of us, we will become the Lord's slaves. So you understand that when Joseph set this up, he clearly understood the penalty of stealing. Number nine, you shall not bear false witnesses. The serpent in the garden, Cain, when responding to God, Jacob and Job are all cited for understanding that lies and deceits were against God's wishes for them. I'm not going to go into all the scriptures. And number 10, thou shall not covet. Again, going back to the garden, um, Eve coveted that darn apple. You know, I can just picture the, the Satan there with a sign that says, wet paint, do not touch, and Eve's just walking along going, don't touch, hmm, touches the wall, right? They don't act like you've never done that. We've all done that at some point. It's, I want to touch it more because it says don't touch it, right? But we know what happened. She, she ate the apple. She, she just, she coveted knowing what the, the Satan was tempting her that she didn't know or that we didn't know as humanity about God. I think it's really important that you get your minds around the truth of the moral law, the Ten Commandments, that they've been woven throughout humanity for since the beginning of humanity. And here's why I say that. Because I believe that this is a foundational element of Christian apologetics. Now, if you don't understand what that means, it's basically two camps. There is God and one true God, the God of the Bible, creator of humanity, and then there's no God. Okay, let's just say that. Apologetics says that I am going to debate, hopefully lovingly, and prove to you that there is a God. He is the God of the Bible, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, creator of mankind, father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? But think about this. If 
there was need for morality to enter the picture. If we just started as some, some thing, and we evolved over millennia into the homo sapien species by way of survival of the fittest, was there really any need for morality to enter the picture? I would argue no. There's no need for that. Why? All that's going to do is slow me down. Right? Get out of my way. I'm going to win. I'm going to survive. Don't get emotions. Don't bring emotions into the picture. I don't need that. Let's procreate. Let's survive. Let's eat. Let's sleep. And let's have a go at this thing. Okay, so to me, it's, it's instrumental that God was working, revealing his laws to his people about morality from the beginning of creation. That doesn't just happen. It has to be input by a divine creator intelligently into the minds and hearts of human beings. Are you tracking with me? Good. Tom, I saw your head nod. That's all I need is just one, bro. And let's check this out. Staunch atheist Richard Dawkins, in his book titled The God Delusion, came up with his own Ten Commandments. True story. And I'm only going to read one to you. Look at number one. Do not do to others what you would not want them to do to you. If, if you believe, if you're an atheist and you believe just in macroevolution, then why would I even care how others treat me? Right? There's no sentimental approach here, and that just boggles my mind. Now, if you're like me prior to becoming a believer, and I think much like many unbelievers in the world today, you might look at the Ten Commandments, these moral laws, and you might think, these are pretty rigid and, and pretty selfish of some God to impose on us. We should be able to choose. Fair enough. But God chose it necessary for creation to understand his nature and character. Why? Because he wanted us to walk more closely with him. He wanted us to be in genuine relationship with him. Think about it. Husband and wife, before husband and wife, you're starting to date. What do you do? You get to know each other. You peel off the layers of the onion and say, what's really inside this person? Because I'm getting ready to make a commitment of life, a lifelong journey together with this person. You probably should know what's in here and what's in here with that person. No different from God. God says, I want to walk closely in relationship with you. So first off, I know you pretty well because I know the numbers of hairs on your head. But I think it's important that you know a little bit more about me so we can do this thing the right way so that we could understand absolute truth, absolute purity, and absolute holiness, these attributes of God. God spoke in black and white. He was not going to sell himself short. God told Moses in the burning bush, you remember what he said about who he is? He said, I am who I am. In other words, his qualities are absolute. They're non-negotiable. He is who he is. So let's consider the qualities that you and I possess, your attributes, our attributes. Um, I know a few of you, Phil, you, Phil Diaz, you like golf, right? You enjoy it. You're actually a pretty good golfer. And I wouldn't say for your age either. I would just say you're a pretty good golfer. You just, that's just, you just like golf, right? That's who you are. Um, April, you like photography. Quite good at it, in fact. And you just develop that gift and that love for doing it. And to some degree, people know you as a great photographer, right? Brad, very gifted with numbers, finance, spreadsheets, one of the best I've ever seen. That You're good at that, right? And many people in the marketplace know you as 
a guy who's great with that stuff, correct? I do, certainly. Uh, if you're a Rockies fan, you are a glutton for punishment. It's what you signed up for. Just, that's just who you are. You are a glutton for punishment. Just get used to it. Well, God, God is holy and omnipotent. That means he's all-powerful. And everything about him and everything around him must be holy. It's not negotiable. That's in the contract. And because he wanted to dwell with his people, he needed to establish some very holy commands about how we conduct ourselves and how to be in his presence. And actually, there were a lot more laws at, at the time that were commanded of the Israelites than the Ten Commandments. There were 613, in fact. Uh, Ten were the Mosaic or moral laws. Uh, there were 42 civil laws. I mean, municipal, state, federal type laws. And then there were 561 ceremonial laws. So if you read through Leviticus and Deuteronomy, you start to see those rolled out. And I look at those and go, I wouldn't have made it. I'd have, I'd have been done at like number three, let alone 613. But we're going to focus on the 10 Mosaic laws for now. Mosaic, Moses, moral laws, 10 commandments. And we're going to set the tone here um, in Exodus 19. Okay, Moses is hanging out with his people. This is some three months or so uh, from the time that they departed Egypt as slaves under the tyranny of Pharaoh. So three months, they've journeyed. God conducted the seven plagues on Pharaoh and the Egyptians so that they would release them. He took them through the Red Sea, part of the waters. He uh, made water spout out of the rock so that they could hydrate. He provided manna for them, food in the desert. And here we are in Exodus 19. This is over a three-month or so period. Moses goes up to Mount Sinai a first time to talk with God. And God says, tell them, your people, to obey my commands, and they shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And he also tells Moses, hey, I'm going to come down in a dense cloud so that the people will hear God speaking, hear me speaking, and then they're going to put their trust in you, Moses. Moses, all right, sounds good. So after three days, then you hear three a lot. It's a key number in the Bible and in God's eyes. Three days, the sound of trumpets come along with lightning and thunder. And God appears in a cloud of smoke, just as he said he would. Now Moses starts to lead his people out of the tent. He's like, come on, we're going to meet God. And everyone hears something super terrifying as God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. Now we don't know what that exactly sounded like. I mean, it could have sounded like Charlie Brown's parents, for all I know, wah, 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 whatever. But it freaked them out. And so, they, so you know what they said? They said, oh, all right, Moses, you got this. We'll be over here. Let us know what he says, right? They're like, we don't want to go. We're afraid. And God knew what that was going to happen because he said, I'm going to speak to you, Moses, and then your people are going to trust you. That's why he became the spokesperson for them. You know, I, I, think, I, think, God, I think God really loves iPads because he was the first to download from the cloud onto Moses on the tablets like thousands of years ago. Old joke day, Joel, that was just one for you, buddy. Downloaded from the cloud onto the tablets, okay? Somebody's needed to hear that twice. Let's just say that. One of the primary reasons that, that I believe God downloaded these 
commands onto these tablets for Moses. He says that he inscribed onto these tablets. Was that he desired for his chosen people to be holy. And when you translate that word in the Hebrew, it's the word kadosh. It means holy. But the translation actually means to, set, to be set apart. Now God not only revealed the commandments to them and us so that we could walk more closely with him, he did so so that we could be set apart. And he started with the Israelites. He said, things ain't going so well with the people in this land, so I'm going to move you in there. I'm going to cause you to be set apart, to be rise up out of these people, and then I'm going to give you all of their land and their belongings. But he said, I want you to represent me well. If you recall in the creation story in Genesis, what God says about humans, in Genesis 1.26 it says, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. This is really important because this, this translates to say that the Elohim, God in his counsel, which is a much deeper discussion, made man to be image bearers of God. That's how that translates. So put these pieces together with me. The meaning of life, why you and I exist effectively, is to, is to represent and to be image bearers of God. Now, if we're going to be image bearers and we're going to be holy and set apart so that we can bear his image properly, he had to establish strict rules and guidelines for doing so. And while those 593 other ancient laws and stuff don't necessarily apply to our lives today, the Ten Commandments absolutely do. They're unequivocal. And there's something very important and strategic, though, about how God went about rolling these commandments out. You see, he first blessed the Israelites, and then he made his commands. And he reveals his greater plan as well. Look at this. Deuteronomy 28. Understand the blessing that God desires to pour over his people. He, it says... And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all the commands that I have made for you, the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. And all of the blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the, the voice of the Lord. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall, you be, the, shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of the ground and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds, the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall be you when you come in, and blessed shall be you when you go out. How good is that promise of what God wants for his children? So I brought some gifts with me today, uh, exactly four. And um, we're missing a pink one. Is there a pink one anywhere? Okay, I've got three. We'll go with three. There was a pink one. Somebody stole it. That's one of the commandments. You need to report after. I've got three gifts. I'm just going to hand these out. So, randomly, Brad, you always laugh at my jokes. So here, come, come get this. Now, before I do this, though, very, very important. You are not allowed to look into here until we're done. Do you agree to doing so? I agree. Okay, good. Uh, let's see here. I'll go over here. Um, Susie. How about, you, you deserve one. I don't know. God told me you deserve one. He didn't really say that. I shouldn't, but I believe you do. Here you go. What's the rule? Not to look at it. Don't look at it. Don't look inside of it. Don't be tempted. Don't be tempted. Uh, I need somebody else over here. How about somebody from the Burns clan? Is this Alice? 
Emily, here, come on, grab this thing. What's, what's the rule? If you look at it, I take it back. Understand? Small but mighty gift. Don't underestimate it being small. Now, I gave you a gift, and I asked something of you. I said, I'm going to give you this, but I want you to trust me. Will you listen to me? Say yes, okay? We've got, we've got a little more time. You're good. No, thank you. I forgot to tell you we're going through the Ten Commandments twice today, by the way, Haley, so thank you. <laughs> communication. Um, so the gifts. It's, it's easy at times to look at the commandments in a way that make them seem like they are just a list of rules and, and for the sake of appeasing God as his subservient yes men and women. I understand that. But as we're going to see today, there's a lot more meaning and purpose beyond the Ten Commandments, beyond the law than what we see. And that's why we've titled today's message, I Have Beyond the Laws. So we're going to revisit these commandments. We're going to go a little bit deeper before we wrap up. Okay, revisiting the first command, you shall have no other gods before me. And this, this translation can be interpreted a couple ways, but what I think it means in the most significant translation is there are to be no gods in front of me. In front. Now, certainly it could mean positionally, like don't put anyone before me, like in priority, but I think it translates more literally to don't put gods in front of me. And look what they do. Look what the Israelites do right after they get this command from God. And so Moses is away for 40 days and 40 nights, and he's spending time with God. God is transcribing these tablets for him and for them. It's only 40 days. And what happens? Moses comes back down the mountain, and Aaron, his brother, is building a golden calf. Like, this is 40 days. That ain't that long. They were in the desert for 40 years. They didn't know that was coming, but it wasn't that long. And I think what this is saying is, Sometimes we get so short-sighted that we forget all that God's done for us. And then we, at times, we mask life issues by substituting things in place of God. God does a profound miracle. He heals your neck. He provides for you financially. He gives you the job you've been wanting. 30 days, 60 days, six months go by. You can't even see it in your rearview mirror. You can become fearful again, uncertain. And you substitute things for God. Number two, don't make for yourself an idol or image. Don't worship or serve them, for I am a jealous God. Now, I've always thought this meant, like, don't make, don't make other idols, and I think there's probably an element to that. Like, don't, don't make idols of Baal and all these other gods. I think that's definitely part of this, but it really definitely applies to God, the God. I mean, no one has ever seen God's full glory. Nobody has really fully seen the full revealed God, at least not on earth, because if, I think if we had or would, that we, would, we, we wouldn't be able to, to tolerate it, to deal with it. Right? His glory is so magnificent. He's so great. So no one's seen the fullness of God. So presumably, wouldn't you assume that any image made of God would be falling short? Right? Anything that you could paint, or and not to say that you don't do things artistically to glorify God. I'm not saying that, but if you are making something to represent God and you're worshiping that instead, what a mighty insult that would be to God. We're not going to see his full glory this side of heaven, and so he's saying, approach me with the utmost reverence and respect, would you please? Certainly. And besides, as we saw earlier, he's already made, he's already made something, someone's to be that representation of him. That's you and me. 
We are supposed to be the image bearers of God, not some inanimate object. Okay, number three, you shall not carry the name of God in vain. This word vain can translate in the ESV, English Standard Version at least, to say empty, nothing worthless or to no good purpose. We're forbidden, therefore, from taking or bearing the name of the Lord in vain in a manner that's wicked, worthless, or for wrong purposes. But he's saying, don't use my name in an insulting way. That includes GD, it, you know what I'm saying? Jesus Christ, and using it in those sort of profane ways, in those ways of anger and frustration. Among many other things, God's saying, please don't do that. Don't defame my name. Much like you wouldn't want one of your children or family members to defame your family name. Let's represent his well. I think it's important to note that the first three of these commandments are God-oriented. They're about how Israel relates to God, how you and I relate to God. The next one, number four, starts to get a little more specific, and it speaks to the way that the Israelites imitate Yahweh, God, and they announce their independence. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. As we mentioned earlier, God is he's merely preaching what he practiced. You know, when he created the world and the beasts and the creatures of the earth and all these different things, it said he did it for six days, and on the seventh day he rested. So he's saying, just follow after me. But more importantly, I think God knows and knew that if he allowed us to work as much as we wanted, many of us would work ourselves into the grave. And in fact, do. So he's saying, look, a little bit of rest is going to be good for you all. I believe when it comes to the Sabbath, you fall into one of two camps. You either feel like you have to do it, or you feel like you can't wait to do it. But you probably fall mostly in one of those. Some, some of us have to be forced to it. We just can't put our email or our phone down on Sundays. And you know what? Imperfectly, as it may be, we have, my family has practiced the Sabbath as long as I can remember. You know, we run businesses. We function in the marketplace. But I have always worked hard to put that work away. My staff knows it. They're not contacting me on Sundays. But I try not to open my emails or do any of that stuff. It's for rest, relaxation, family time, and worship. You don't have to obey it because Jesus came to fulfill the laws, and, and arguably, that's not a matter of sanctification, perhaps, but it's important. Get that. And the next five are about how we treat each other. Honor your mother and father. Because at a minimum, they deserve it for all that they've done for you. But I think even more so, imperfect as your parents may be, they've been through a lot more than you, and they've got a lot of wisdom to impart in your lives. So allow them the opportunity to do that. And did you know that if you read in this commands, and as God rolled it out, that if a child obeyed their parents among the Israelites, do you know what they were to do to them? To stone them to death. That's how big of a priority. I mean, it sounds ruthless, but that's, God says, I, I will allow no impurity to be among you. So if your child cannot obey and listen to you, be subservient, they ought to not be among you. That's, the stakes are high. Number six, thou shalt not kill. To me, this one's pretty simple. Life is given by and taken by God. It is not a matter that we're necessarily to take into our own hands. I'm not going to get into particulars about execution and eye for an eye and all that kind of stuff, but I do know that he ordains when a life begins and he ordains when a life ends. We shouldn't take that into our own hands, certainly not out of anger. You shall not commit adultery. Number seven, 
Marriage is a holy union ordained by God. One man, one woman, companions, lifelong supporters, one for another. And wrecking the marriage covenant is something God does not take well to. You said, I do, and I agree, too. It's going to hold you to that. Shall not steal. The sin here is that your counterpart, when you steal, they suffer a loss. Uh, my dad, when I was, I don't know, seventh, eighth grade, bought me, remember the old starter, starter jackets, the, the NFL teams on the big puffy warm things? Those were a big deal when I was in like middle school. And one day somebody stole that fabulous Minnesota Vikings starter jacket out of my closet or my locker. And I mean, it hurt. But what, what about the time that I stole that pair of jeans from the department store or that pack of gum from the grocery store? I had my shares, so how would I expect it not to happen to me? Shall not bear false witness. Do not lie. God's truthful. That's just his nature. He's saying, don't falsify things. Be truthful. And thou shalt not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor, your neighbor's house, their spouse, their servant, their animals, anything else. Because when we do that, it distorts the value of what God's given you. There's this beautiful thing called look-around therapy wherein you can look around and observe the well-being of other people. And there's some therapy that happens when you realize that, yeah, I am pretty blessed. Not to discount their circumstances. But inversely, it's as dangerous, it's equally an opposite as dangerous to look at somebody else's life and say, man, you're so much better off than me. Woe is me. I wish I had that life. And I understand that because I felt that and continue to feel that. The commandments that we unpack today are part of an agreement, much like um, the vows at a wedding, which we talked about. When you make an agreement, you make a covenant. It says that I commit to this, and I agree that I will uphold my part. One of the special things about this historical account in the Torah, the Old Testament, when God, God comes down, from his high and holy place. He comes down to be among his people to make this agreement. He doesn't fully reveal himself, but he comes and meets with his people. And he didn't just leave them alone with a list of do's and don'ts. He made it relational. And you know what? He did it again about 2,000 years later. He sent his son from his high place in heaven down to earth to come in the flesh to be with us, to be with his creation. And i got to tell you, as I've spent the last few weeks reading through this Old Testament, I have be, I've felt so insecure about how little I deserve to have the liberty and the forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ. Because I believe that only when you fully embrace the magnitude of God's holiness and the power and authenticity of his laws, only then can you truly embrace the grace of Jesus Christ who came to die for your sins and atone for them once and for all. Those of you that have the gifts, go ahead and open them. This obviously isn't Christmas because you're going way too slow. We're trying to go have some what are drive through restaurants. Let's go, people. Brad, what is it? What'd you get? Play-Doh. Play-Doh. <laughs> okay, what else? Uh, what'd you get? Um, Teeny Mates. Some probably is $2.99 at Walgreens is what that is. Okay. No, no, don't talk about that yet. Hold on one second. What did, what did you get, Susie? 
You got Play-Doh. Are you guys, are you guys honestly, are you a little disappointed? You love Play-Doh? You must have listened to the sermon today, Susie. Congratulations, you passed. Now, what else is in there? Ticket to heaven? Congratulations, y'all. They got ticket to heaven. Now, listen. Here's, here's, the, here's the picture here. I, I gave you a gift, and I said, but I want you to listen. You didn't open it. You get to keep it. You may have been kind of disappointed because maybe I was hoping for a $25 Amazon gift card, or maybe I was hoping for a new car. But you got Play-Doh, and you got some little thing, right? It can be disappointing, but I guarantee if you find a little person and spend some time and share that with them, they're going to love it, and you're going to have a little bit more joy in your heart. And guess what? That's exactly what Jesus did. When he came, he said, look, I'm going to give you something for this life. I'm going to give you peace, joy, and hope. I'm not promising you anything else, right? I'm not promising you a big house and a really nice car. That's what I'm giving you. And said, by the way, if you'll trust in me, I'm also going to give you a pass to live in all eternity with me in perfection, get a new body, a new name. You're going to live forever with me. Can you just... Put those concerns away for a little while. 40 days, 40 nights, metaphorically. Can you put it away? Can you just trust me? And if you have not done that, you do not need to wait any longer. You just, you just realize it and you receive it. You say, Jesus, when I look at these, it's clear that I have fallen short and I will never live up to your expectations. But all you want me to do now is to trust Jesus Christ, to give my life to him. He's going to make it all right for me. And then he says, keep trusting me and keep following me. Listen to what I have asked of you. Let's pray. Jesus, your holiness is untouchable. Your grace is unfathomable. I do not feel worthy. But you loved me, you loved us so much that you chose to reconcile it once and for all. For us to trust you, to follow you, and to want to be closer to you every day. So I pray for every soul that has not yet made that commitment that they would do so today, and that would be a lasting and eternal decision. Lord, let this church know you a little bit better today, pursue you vigorously and wholeheartedly, and let us bring you glory and please you to the extent that we are able. Thank you for my church family. Love them dearly. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.